Uh, we are going to get into God's Word. I'm going to start off, however, with an auction this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Today we have a magnificent plot of land for sale today, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, ladies and gentlemen. God's real estate is going up for sale this morning. I've got the real estate agents eyeing me. I'm making a bit of fun of real estate agents this morning. But I've got a magnificent block of land for sale in God's real estate. Truly heavenly views, vineyards as far as the eye can see. You've got views of the pearly gates. Uh, you've got uh, streets that are paved with gold, ladies and gentlemen. You've got uh, choirs of angels singing at your behest. I'm wondering who's going to start the bidding this morning for this plot of land that offers eternal life, eternal abundant resurrection life for the lucky investor this morning. Who's going to open the bidding this morning? What was that, sir? $10. Uh, $10. Can anyone beat $10? I'm looking for at least a commitment of, uh, well, an hour on a Sunday morning. Yes, ma'am, an hour on every... How much? 100 You can do better than that, ma'am. She's uh, haven't even reached the reserve yet. Haven't even reached the reserve yet. I'm looking for $100 plus an hour on a Sunday morning. Yes, ma'am? A million dollars. That's what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. We're on the market. A million dollars plus an hour of your time every Sunday morning. A million dollars an hour of your time every Sunday morning. I'm looking for an hour on a Sunday morning, a million dollars, and a contribution to some mission work. A bit of admission work, ladies and gentlemen. Just raise your hand, a little bit of mission work. I'm uh, looking for any new bidders in the market. I've got a million dollars. Yes, sir. I see that had a new entry into the market, a million dollars an hour on a Sunday morning and contribution to a bit of mission work. Any further takers, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the market. We are going to sell today. Going once, going twice. Stop. Too late, sir. Too late. Well, what was your offer? My soul. Can you beat that? Can you beat your soul? Soul. Bad luck, sir. You've got to be quick. Sold to Monica. Well done. Uh, today we are looking at real estate and we're looking at a purchase of, of a plot of land in a little piece of Israel called Anathoth. But it has struck me since I've moved here to the east. We do love our real estate, don't we, uh, in the east? And so it is, does seem to be a topic of conversation and indeed all across Sydney because let's be honest, if you are fortunate enough to own a little bit of real estate already, uh, you're in a fortunate position of making money while you sleep. Uh, you're in the fortunate position of, of doing very, very well by doing absolutely nothing. The problem, of course, is if you are not already in the market. That can be a problem, can't it? The market is getting further and further and further away from you. It's getting further away faster than you can save up for a deposit. So I tend to think something isn't quite right. Personally, I think the market is due for a bit of an adjustment, a bit of a correction, they call it. Something's got to give, right? Something has to give. There's going to be some sort of event that will bring us back to reality, that will bring reality crashing back into the market. And that is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about reality coming crashing in on the market in the Old Testament times, in the time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet that preached uh, the prophesied that served the southern kingdom of Judah. So before we get into our reading, a little bit of context. If you know your, your Old Testament history, you'll know that Israel reached its zenith, its high point under King David and his King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon, towards the end of his reign, 
sort of wobbled a little bit and, and, and there was a series of good and bad kings. And eventually the kingdom split in two. Uh, the northern ten tribes uh, went, uh, were conquered by the Assyrians about 722 B.C. Uh, we don't really hear from them again. Really the only time we hear from those northern ten tribes of the original twelve Israel are the, their descendants of the Samaritans that we hear about in the gospel, sort of lost their Judaism, but they're still sort of semi-Jewish, have maintained some sort of remnant of their Jewishness, but good Jews despise the Samaritans. So those northern ten tribes have conquered, God has allowed them to be conquered because they, have, they gave themselves over to idolatry and God allowed them to be conquered. The southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin hold out for a little bit longer they have a mix of, of good and bad kings. But by the time of Jeremiah, by the time of our reading this morning, the Babylonians have arisen to be the world power and they are now at the gates. Even Jerusalem is about to fall. They too have wandered astray. They, they too have discarded God's good life-giving laws and God has allowed the Babylonians to come and to be knocking on the door and the city is about to fall. Friends, these are bleak times. These are desperate times. We think of a, a bad investment market when uh, interest rates go up a point or two. Imagine having a foreign army invade your land. That is the context that we are speaking of today. Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet. He was a reluctant prophet. He was called to speak God's truth in a difficult time. He didn't like doing it. He would often complain to God about the difficult calling that he had been given. He's there to tell of God's word into a particular situation. So let's have a look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 32. If you've got it on your device, you might want to have a look at it. I think we might have it up on the screen. Uh, you might want to keep it open it's just to make sure that... Uh, you're checking up on that what I'm saying is correct. It's Jeremiah chapter 32. I'm going to be reading the first 15 verses. Jeremiah chapter 32. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to give this city to the, into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon and where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Just then, as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. 
since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed. I had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave it the deed to, do, to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Marseiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Houses and fields and vineyards will once again be bought in this land. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this piece of scripture, Father, this passage that is one that many of us are not familiar with this morning, we pray that you might be bringing it to light for us. We pray that we might learn from it. We pray that we might see your word there amongst it. We pray that you might help us to apply it in our lives this week. We pray that we won't simply be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of the word. Father, we pray that my words might be your words this morning. We pray that I might decrease and that you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. In Jesus' name, amen. The context is one of national shame and disgrace. Jerusalem is indeed about to fall. If you're a Church in the Marketplace regular, you will have uh, been with us for our series on Daniel earlier in the year when, is, when Jerusalem had indeed been conquered and, and taken off into slavery. The Babylonian army is camped outside. Jerusalem is, is under siege. And so... Things are pretty bleak, and as if that wasn't bad enough, Jeremiah himself, the prophet, the God-man, speaking God's words into the, into the context, into the situation, is effectively under house arrest. Why? Well, because he's undermining the war effort. He's been de declaring this is, you've bought this upon yourself, Jerusalem. You've turned astray from the Lord your God, and you've worshipped idols. You've got no one to blame but yourself. God has raised up the Babylonians and he's going to deliver you into their hands. Now, if you're the king and you're trying to spruik the war effort, if you and your spin doctors are trying to rally the troops, this God-botherer, Jeremiah, is no good. He's undermining the war effort. So they've put him effectively under house arrest. They're trying to shut him up. Jeremiah is... is speaking words of doom, prophecy of, of doom. Remember, prophecy isn't so much telling the future as it is foretelling, as it is forth-telling. It is telling forth God's will into a particular situation. 
So this is, this is what's happening at, at the time. So things are bleak for the nation. Things are pretty bleak for Jeremiah. It's a tough time. But enter his wily cousin by the name of Hanamel. Now, Hanamel thinks that his cousin Jeremiah, the old godbotherer, is a bit of a soft touch. Hanamel is looking to cash in. He's looking to cash out, to sell up, and to make good with, with, with whatever he can get because he realizes that in the very near future, the Babylonians are about to breach the city walls. There will be massacres, there will be blood in the streets, and the survivors will be taken off into captivity in Babylon. And so he knows that his old cousin, Jeremiah, is one of those types that's always banging on about God. You know those two people? Have you got someone like that in your family? Always banging on about church and God? Maybe that's you. I hope that's you. And so he goes to Jeremiah and with, in effect, what is a dodgy deal. Hanamel is trying to rip his cousin off. He's got a piece of land that he wants to offload. And back in the day, if you were, uh, uh, you were trying to keep the, the land within the family, so you had to sort of offer it to your nearest relative, and it was almost an obligation for you to purchase it. Back when the Israelites conquered the land, you might know that they divided the land up amongst the 12 tribes and all the clans and all the families. So Hanamel is looking to offload this piece of land, get a, a quick sort of bit of cash and flee. And so he thinks his cousin Jeremiah would be the person to go to because he's almost obligated to purchase it. Now, he weighed out 17 shekels of silver. Now, you need to understand that this would have been a decent price. This would have been a fair price in normal circumstances. But these weren't normal circumstances, were they? You can be sure that in this circumstance, the value of this land has effectively dropped to zero. There are Babylonian soldiers running all over the land. They're about to take the city. The market has crashed. This land isn't worth anything. But Jeremiah nevertheless purchases the property. He has a word from God saying, your cousin's going to come to you. He's a bit of a wily old fox, this fellow. But despite it all, you know what, Jeremiah? Take him up on his offer. Purchase that bit of land because I promise you that in time, houses and fields and vineyards will once again be purchased on this land. The Babylonians are about to conquer Jerusalem. It happened in about the year 587 BC. They were taken into captivity. So Jeremiah making this purchase is making a declaration. He's saying, I put my faith in the faithfulness of God, and so should you. Jeremiah is saying that I am trusting in God's faithfulness. I'm going to get in on the ground floor of God's goodness. It's a declaration to his fellow Jerusalem residents that, yes, things are pretty bleak, but all is not lost. God is still in charge. Houses and fields and vineyards will once again be bought on this land. The Babylonians did indeed go on to breach the walls and to take Jerusalem. It was a brutal time and they were taken into slavery. It took a couple of generations before they were able to make their way back. 
Jeremiah didn't live to see the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jeremiah and his entire generation were gone before this prophecy was to come to pass. Eventually, under Ezra and Nehemiah, they made their way back and indeed houses and vineyards and fields were once again sold on that land. But it was in God's time. It was on God's time frame. His calendar is sometimes very different from ours. So I think the takeaway from this passage is a fairly simple one. It's a metaphor. I'm going to encourage you to make an investment in God's real estate this morning. I want you to know, however, that is, it is a long-term investment. I want you to know that it can be risky. In fact, it will be risky. There will be some ups and some downs along the way. I want you to know that you're probably going to be mocked for your investment. You're probably going to be told by the so-called experts, there's far better ways to invest your life. There's far better ways of reaping a far better dividend, personally speaking, than investing in this kind of real estate. There's far better investment options for you to, uh, to invest in over the course of your life. But church in the marketplace, as we begin a, a new era, into the, the era of the AD, after Delta, before COVID and after Delta. It seems as though we've divided time. The church is awakening once more into, as I've been saying these last few weeks, into a, a new chapter. It is a new beginning for the church. It is a changed environment, as I've been saying. Some people simply haven't returned. Some people have simply gotten out of the habit of coming to church. We've seen the rise of what's called the duns. It's a new generation of people that the experts are calling, well, they're just done with church. This is a new beginning. This is a new chapter. The, the future, in worldly terms, looks fairly bleak for the church. There are churches closing all the time. In our own denomination, I know that several congregations are going to struggle to reopen their doors. Uh, we came back to worship. We've done quite well here at Church in the Marketplace. Praise God. Thank you for your faithfulness. But there are other congregations that are really struggling. This is a new chapter. This is a new beginning. God has allowed his church, for whatever reason, to struggle for the time being. We are going to have to rebuild. What I'm asking you to do is to get in on the ground floor of some real estate with God, to invest, to say, yes, I'm, I'm all in God, knowing that, yet, you may not even live to see the benefit of your investment. As I said, Jeremiah and his entire generation passed away before this prophecy came true. I'm asking you to sow some seeds into God's kingdom, knowing that you may not be around when the harvest comes in. I'm going to ask you to throw yourself into God's kingdom. Remember, the land is simply a metaphor. This land is a metaphor for God's faithfulness, for God's goodness. Can I encourage you to invest? Uh, I've uh, moved my family here to be amongst you, and I have to say, I'm all in, folks. I'm excited about the future. 
I'm excited about what God is going to do. I'm under no illusion that it's going to be hard work at times. This business we call church can be difficult. It can be rough. People let us down and and people hurt us. But I'm willing to give it a crack if you are in this new beginning, deep into the 21st. Praise God. We're going to have a go. We're going to have a crack. I can't guarantee you any specific dividends or returns. I said back to the JNC, the interviewing committee, what it must have been about this time last year, I can't guarantee any outcomes. What I can guarantee is that I'll give you all that I have. We're going to do our very best in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the city of Sydney. We're going to sow and we are going to put our faith in God that at some point either ourselves or some future generation will do some reaping. Amen? It's going to take an investment in your part. And yes, we may be talking about money. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it may, in fact, it will require for you to invest some of your, your treasure as well as your time and your talent. It's certainly going to mean investing your Sunday mornings. Perhaps not every single week. There might be something else that comes up that God is calling you to do on a Sunday morning. But certainly spending regular time with the people of God is really the base commitment. It's really the very least you can do if you're wanting to invest in God's kingdom. I speak to people all the time who try to tell me how faithful they are, how, how real their faith is, yet they don't fellowship with us at what's church in the marketplace, any church. I don't care what the brand name is. You've got to be fellowshipping with God's people if you are fair income. And it's not about what I can get. It's about what you can give. I hope you're coming along on a Sunday morning prepared to invest yourself to give of yourself. It's my job to make sure that you are fed. It's my job and the elders' job, the church council, to make sure that you are cared for. And it's your job to come along to make sure that the people around you know that they are loved, that they are known, and that they are valued. We come seeking not uh, to be served, but indeed to serve. And we use Jesus, of course, as our role model. It might mean investing in some mission at some point in in your life. I know you've had some history of going, embarking on mission uh, to Fiji, for example. I know James Allardyce is putting together uh, another team. It may invest getting your hands dirty in mission locally here on the streets of Sydney. It might involve you offering some hospitality. Hospitality can be costly, can't it? Offering your home, perhaps. Whatever it is God has placed at your disposal, He's calling you to invest in his kingdom, knowing that the road ahead may indeed be rocky, but knowing that he is faithful, knowing that he will indeed in his time, in his way, (laughs) make sure that your investment reaps a heavenly reward. The rewards are out of this world. But I want you to do so knowing that, of course, he has invested in you. I want you, of course, to know that God has invested deeply in you. He sent his son. He paid the price with his son's blood to invest in you. Know that he has invested in you. He wants the very best from you and he he went all in for you. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus said, you know what, I'm, I'm all in for Pete or for Monica, for Rick, for every single one of us here. 
God has invested in you. He's given his very best for you. Can I encourage you to do the same for him this week? Can I encourage you to keep on taking risks, to keep on stepping out in faith this week? Knowing that you don't even need to necessarily to cough up your 17 shekels of silver. The price has been paid in full for you. At the cross of Christ, the price has been paid for all of our debts. Our slate is wiped clean. Though our sins be red as scarlet, we are washed whiter than the snow. The title deeds of eternity are yours for the taking. And I encourage you to make an investment of your life this week. Surrender your life. Give it over. Yield your life. I think this metaphor of surrender is one of my favorites because I think it does speak so very powerfully to what's called, what's called of us. To let go, to surrender, to yield our life and say, I'm no longer my own but yours, Lord. I freely, wholeheartedly yield everything that I am to you, Lord. I'm not investing in the things of this world. I'm investing in your kingdom, Father. All that I am, I give to you this week. Can I invite you this week to be considering how you can invest for 2022? As I said earlier in announcements, the church council will be gathering to plot a course forward for this next chapter of our life together. How can we be investing what God has given us? Not just the money, but our time, our resources, whatever it is that God has placed in our hands. Can I encourage you to lay it down, to purchase God's real estate today and reap some heavenly rewards. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, loving Lord, we, we realize that When we choose to invest with you, Lord, we're not seeking a, to make a quick buck. We know that the market is volatile, to press the metaphor, Father. There will be ups and downs in this life. We pray that you might give us the faith of Jeremiah to make what in the world's eyes was a foolish investment. Seemingly be prepared to be ripped off. Father, we pray that you might enable us, give us the courage to say, yes, I'm, I'm all in with you, Father. I'm investing my life with you. I'm no longer living for myself. I'm dying to self. I'm living for you this week, Lord. So yes, in the big things, Lord, as we set our family budgets, as we, as we plan holidays, as we plan our career path, as we look forward to retirement, Lord, as we seek to organize family and businesses and work and schedules, but in the little things as well, those little chance encounters, Father, in the street that phone call that you might be urging us to make, extending the right hand of fellowship, extending some hospitality, Father, perhaps. We pray that you might help us to see how we can invest with you this week 
in order that we might reap an eternal reward, Father. Father, we know that investing with you is the best way to live. We know that it isn't always easy. But Father, we know that it leads to life eternal, life abundant in this life and the next. So loving Lord, we surrender to you this day. Take all that we have and use it for your good, perfect and pleasing will. In Jesus' name, amen.